We'll start by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 to 26. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruits of my toil, into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he helps the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We will continue reading over the page, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I tolling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. The next reading is taken from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. This is God's word. Good evening. Uh, let me have my welcome if we've not met. It, my name's Matt Fuller, and I thought we'd have a bit of Colossians read because there's only so much meaninglessness you can have uh, in one evening. And, um, well, we'll get to that in a moment. So we're looking uh, this, well, what are we doing? A few weeks in Ecclesiastes then. And what do you do with something which is quite so meaningless? Will you pray? Let's pray as we begin together. 
Uh, Father, we know you're good and you're wise and you love us. And so you give us what we need. Uh, And Father, when we turn to this book, it isn't at first glance what we think we need on a Sunday night to be told that life is meaningless. So help us understand it rightly. Help us understand what your author, the the teacher, uh, writing by your spirit, why he wrote it here and what it means for us today so that we would lead lives of great meaning, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us do that, we pray in his great name. Amen. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, then we've said Ecclesiastes, it's a book in which the uh, the writer, the teacher, that's what he gets called, Kohelet is teacher, that's as good a translation as any, the teacher is looking for purpose in the world. How do I find satisfaction, purpose, meaning in this world? Now, you don't always ask that question at 3.19 tomorrow afternoon. I don't know what you'll be doing. Do you know what you'll be doing? Maybe you do. But you probably don't know what you'll be doing. But you could set your alarm and have it ping up. What is the purpose of my life at this moment in time? You could do that. But it's only occasionally we take a step back. And most do at some point take a step back from the day to day to say, so what am I doing? What's it all about? And who knows what brings that on or or, or what prompts you to have that moment. I'm going to introduce a number of philosophers to us tonight. Here's my first philosopher. It's um, Justin Timberlake. (laughs) There he is. He put it this way. I think the first half of my 20s, I felt I had to achieve, achieve, achieve. A lot of men do this. I'm looking around now and I'm like, where am I running? What am I doing? I'm worth quite a few million quid, probably. There are only so many more tattoos I could have, probably. I don't want to go quite a la Beckham. I'm running out of space rapidly. What do I do? Hold on a minute. I'm only, whatever he is, 28 years old. Uh, I don't know how old he is, no idea. Um, What am I I doing? No, we don't, let's be honest, we don't ask that question every day, but sometimes, sometimes... We think, hold on. Most of the time we just saturate ourselves. We just pursue our our lives, our romantic lives, our our work lives, our lives of pleasure. And we're saturated with that. Uh, And it's good. It's fun. Pleasant most of the time. There's some downers, of course. But then we are. So what are we doing? What am I doing? I've spent 10 years working for these same people. Got paid, but... Is that it? Is there a bit more? So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, the teacher, the writer of this book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher sought to find meaning in, well, a few things. First, he pursued wisdom. He really went for wisdom. Uh, Last week, he pursued a hedonistic life of pleasure. Is there meaning to be found in them? But they couldn't satisfy the deep longing within him for something a bit more. We keep getting told in this book that life is meaningless. 37 times this word, hevel, meaningless. Although I would want to suggest that's okay is one way of translating it. It's literally mist, vapor. So perhaps meaningless isn't the most useful and maybe we should try a different sort of translation every week. So this week, an equally good would be temporary. Let's go for that. Temporary. Just in case you know how to spell it. Temporary, there it is. 
life is temporary. Work, all my achievements are temporary. The pleasures are temporary. My success is temporary. That in one sense carries the meaning of the word of it's gone. It's missed. It just drifts away. So having tried wisdom, having tried uh, pleasure, he turns this week to work. Work. How about work? Can work be the answer to his deepest longings? Now, we need to be careful uh, coming to something like this because the book of Ecclesiastes is not a full biblical picture on work. There's nothing about how you carry out your work. He's essentially asking one question, the same one he wants to ask of everything in this book. Can I find fulfilling satisfaction in my work? And the answer, as with pleasure, as with wisdom, is the one that Mick Jagger gave many, many years ago. I can't get no satisfaction. You can't. He doesn't, yeah, I know, that's bad. Um, it's bad. Although I did find myself humming it over most of the weekend. It just, it gets it, you know, it's fairly, how many cool, how many notes is in that, Ben? Uh, 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 just over and over again. Okay, three. I think that's it. I mean, it's three notes. He can't, he's not going to get satisfaction in his work. But that isn't everything the Bible would want to say about work. So if you just even look across the page, chapter two, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10, oh, I deny myself nothing my eyes desire, I refuse my heart no pleasure. However, my heart took delight in all my labor. Oh, actually, I, I really enjoyed my work, he says in chapter 2, verse 10. And yet in chapter 2, verse 17, oh, I hated life because work was done under the sun. It was all grievous to me. All work is temporary, uh, chasing after the wind. Oh, I hated all the things I told for under the sun. So you need to bear both in mind. So at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, humanity is made for work. It is a good thing. God is a worker, creates the world. He says, go in my image. It is noble. It is dignified. There is much which is wonderful about the world of work. We don't want to live lives without work. I will tell you, six days you should work and one day you should rest. Work is a good thing. And at that point, you know, uh, our modern economy gets a little bit confused. Adam Smith would say work, the only point of work is to provide for your uh, economic needs. That's rubbish, according to the Bible. Work is in, uh, in inherently noble. Do you see there was a march, a uh, protest um, around 10 Downing Street, etc. yesterday. As always, these things are a slight mixture of motives in the protest. Sort of anti-austerity, which covers a whole range of... But uh, one group of it, one block, was um, anti-work. They were the no-work block. That's quite interesting. Uh, actually, uh, all far left-wing, calling for full automation of the economy so that people don't work anymore. Full automation of the economy, and then everyone gets paid a universal, universal basic income, a UBI. It's a slightly extreme left view. But actually, even in the Guardian newspaper, I had an article advocating it last week. So it's entering the mainstream. No work. Get computers to do everything, and then we can just... Or whatever you want to do. Um, uh, you do whatever you want. Now, that, the Bible would say, is a complete waste. Because humans are made to work. Work is a good thing. Just don't try to get too much out of it. 
If you think that work will satisfy your life, you have got a problem. You're trying to squeeze too much out of it. Let me put it this way. In our house at the moment, uh, skateboarding is cool. And um, not really with me, but uh, with the younger generation, skateboarding is cool. Uh, and so now apparently you don't, one skateboard is not enough. You need at least two for traveling around the streets and two for doing stunts on because you need different, apparently you need a whole lot of, a whole range of skateboards to do such things. Skateboarding is cool. And I can see that it is a fun activity and I can see progress in doing half pikes and jumps and things. I can see the more you practice, it's good. Skateboarding is inherently, to my mind, so I observe, quite a fun thing to do. We have relatives who live in Devon. If you want to skateboard from London, London to Devon, you've got a problem. I don't know how far you'd get. We live in Kennington. You might get to Hammersmith, I guess, something like that. But after a while, um, <laughs> and you might change legs, you're going to think, how far have we got? Are we nearly there yet? You are not. Skateboarding, a good thing. You try and get all the way to Devon on a skateboard, you'll hate it. You'll hate it. Work is a good thing. You try to satisfy your life with work, you'll hate it. That's what he experienced. That's what he's talking about. Skateboard, good thing, in the right place. You want to go to Devon, get a car or a train, up to you. Bicycle if you're really pretty fit. Um, work, good thing. You want to have no satisfaction in life, trust the Lord. And enjoy your work. That's what he's going to say. Let me try and cut it this way. Uh, we're mainly in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. We're going to say uh, three negatives and one positive. That's not bad for Ecclesiastes, actually. Uh, so run with it. Three negatives and one positive. Okay, let's go for the negatives. First, work can't secure a legacy. Let me tell you that anyway. Can't secure a legacy, can't secure satisfaction, can't secure status. Those are the negatives. First, work can't secure A legacy. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. So he says, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. And yet they'll have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. And this too is temporary. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. It's a crude point, a simple one. Whatever you achieve, you don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. Uh, Forbes does this, a rich list, you know, like the Sunday Times does. Sunday Times next week, I think. Forbes' rich list came out last month. And um, uh, one of the things they have in their rich list every year is the top 10 dead celebrity earners. Would you like to know the top five? I take that. That's good news. Uh, in at number five is uh, Liz Taylor. She earned $20 million last year. At uh, number four, uh, Bob Marley, that well-known capitalist, is still earning uh, $21 million uh, last year. Uh, number three, Charles Schultz, Mr. Peanuts, you know, and Charlie Brown. You know, that's not bad for a cartoon character that goes from the front. $40 million last year. Last year, Elvis earned $55 million. Thank you very much. And, um, yeah, it's downhill from there, I'm afraid. Sorry. And number one for the ninth year running was Michael Jackson, 
who earned $115 million last year. Every year since since his death, he's earned a nine-figure salary. And that'll be why his relatives fight a little bit over who gets what. Now, the risk of stating the obvious, all of those people have earned vast sums of money in the last 12 months. What else have they got in common? They're dead. And they have no control over who gets their money. Very little say in their legacy. All of them, as far as I could tell, with the possible exception of Charles Schultz, there is great family litigation over who gets what. And that's the writer's point. Not just money here, verse 19. Maybe I've built a company. And now I hand it on to someone, and what will become of it? They may well squander it, destroy it. And so he says, look, you can enjoy your work in this life, but if as soon as you've gone or retired, it collapses, so what? So what? What's the point? I uh, worked as a school teacher for a number of years, um, and I loved it. I loved it. And some people say, oh, you know, teaching is a good job. It's sort of inherently virtuous. You know, in the last, um, uh, the, the last economic downturn, 2008-9, uh, loads of financiers left, teach, uh, left the world of banking and went into teaching. And then after a few years, most of them actually went back. Uh, but lots of people think teaching, inherently good uh, and virtuous. And there's, there's much which is true about that. I taught at one school uh, in London, uh, City of London, for, uh, in the end, because I carried on doing a bit of uh, sports teaching, uh, five years. And, uh, of course, five years later, I went back to see the head about something, and no one knew who I was. None of the kids, and only a handful of staff. Oh, well, no one knew. Or here's another philosopher, uh, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> William Shatner, uh, hero of my youth. Uh, there he is, as uh, James Tiberius Kirk, and slightly older now. Careers are here, and they're gone. I have my picture on the wall. Slightly odd, but there we go. I have my picture on the wall. The minute I die, that picture will start to yellow and fade and, and eventually be gone. Blown in the wind and become part of the molecular structure of something else. These things we see as success. Well, they're non-accomplishments. Oh. Oh, just gone. Oh, if only I can find the right job. There's a job out there uh, that'll fulfill me. Ah, oh, you're expecting too much. You hear that sort of thing stated. You, you do realize that 95% of the globe have absolutely no choice in the job they're going to pursue. This whole idea that you've got to find the job that fulfills you is a lie told to about the top five economic percent. Uh, when I was a school teacher before in London, I was a t- t- uh, school teacher in Birmingham, a slightly different school, uh, fairly edgy, comprehensive school. They had a 15% pass rate at GCSE at its nadir before they, uh, they came in to be turned around. It was rough. It was violent. But the lowest, well, not quite, one of the low points in my time there was just before the kids went off on leave for GCSEs on study leave. And the head stood up and said, these exams will determine your future. If you do well, you'll go and work in the Smith & Nephew factory down the road. Big factory, you know, um, uh, pharmaceutical goods. 
If you do well, you'll go and work in the factory in the day. If you do badly, you'll clean the floors at night. And you sat there and thought, that ain't the most inspiring message I've ever heard. (laughs) That's not Churchill, is it, right there? But it was true. Not everyone gets a choice. But the idea that we'll find a job, there is the job out there that will fulfill you. That's a crushing burden. You'll chase it all your life. There's not, there's no such thing. Work will never secure your legacy, purpose. Second little thing it can't secure. Work can't secure satisfaction. So let's carry on. Verse 22 brings it into the present tense. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Now some people love business and they love business in their work. So I have a very good friend, worked for a number of years as a corporate lawyer. And I do remember, this is genuinely true, on one occasion uh, sitting going for a drink with him and uh, he was working long hours. It's said, yeah, but what you need to understand is when you work on the deal and you go at it and you go at it and go at it and finally... At 3 a.m. one morning, everyone signs off on it. Those are the moments when you feel alive. And you think, seriously? Seriously. And some people love that level of business. To be fair, he quit two years later. There's only so many 3 a.m. buzzes that you can probably handle. He quit. But those who reach the top of their professions do know that. Bradley Wiggins is riding again. I remember in 2012 when he won the Olympic gold, having just won the Tour de France. He was interviewed not long after uh, uh, winning his Olympic gold. He observed, what was it like? The national anthem playing, the adulation of the crowd, kind of Britain's coolest man at that time with your sideburns and your slightly edgy taste in music as well as being brilliant at sports. What was it like on top of the podium? He replied, As I stood on the podium, there was a light melancholy within me because I knew that nothing will ever top this. Oh, can't you enjoy it even for a moment, Bradley? You feel, oh. Or Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie is just brilliant, did everything. He's just brilliant. He's released two albums, which have gone to number two, number one, playing jazz. He plays every instrument under the sun. And he's written a best-selling novel that's been number one in the charts. And obviously, apparently, he acts uh, a little bit as well. Uh, most recently, his nasty Dickie, Dickie Roper. Trust Dickie. Um, so there he is. Here's Hugh Laurie. Success on a cosmic level completely eludes me. I'm deeply suspicious of things being too good. As soon as you have the thing you've been going after all your life, that reasonable degree of security, you, you start kicking against it, doubting it. What? But Hugh, you're Bertie Wooster. You know, you're George, you're, you're Prince George, more importantly, you're Lieutenant George from the trenches. You know, you were house. You were earning $500,000 per episode at one stage. At the height of popularity, you were the most watched television program on the planet. And yet, are you not ever content? You just, oh, how much more brilliant and successful do you need to get? At everything. 
And he's really nice, apparently. You know, married to the same woman for 30 years. Kids love him. You know, I just, I'm never content. Never really satisfied. Oh, that's a shock. Or as the writer puts it, the teacher in 23, verse 23, all their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. That too is temporary perhaps. Many of us have had periods like that, I guess. Sleepless nights, stressed out about work the next day. It's pretty lonely in the middle of the night thinking, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I meant to do with this? How am I going to resolve that? What's she going to say to me tomorrow? I'm really fed up with him. No satisfaction there. Or just flick over to chapter 4. There's a little chunk on work in chapter 4. We'll get there properly in a few weeks. But chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Here again, um, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. Well, he's a workaholic and he's all alone. Why is he all alone? What, we're not told. Maybe he's boring. He just works and never meets anyone. Maybe his family have left him because he was just never there. And we're not told that. But eventually he takes a step back and says, sorry, I'm working incredibly long hours. Why am I doing this? I'm just not satisfied here. Why am I doing this? Work, it can't secure a legacy, it can't secure satisfaction. Uh, Last little thing, it can't secure your status. Just uh, stay in chapter 4 and verse 4, a brief comment on that. Can't secure your status. The writer says, I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one hand with tranquility than two hands with toil and chasing after the wind. Verse 4, very... All achievements spring from one person's envy. Well, that's got to be a slight exaggeration to make the point. But a lot of people are driven in their work by beating someone else, by comparing. How are my peers doing? Oh, right. How's, how, am I, how are my figures looking compared to her? Well, I need to beat her. Don't mind about him. Everyone knows he's, he's all right. But oh, I need to beat her. Now, you might exaggerate to say all is driven by that, but much is. Lots of people find their drive in performing better than others. But that'll never make you satisfied. That'll never secure your status. Work can't do that. I watched, to my mind, a fascinating uh, documentary. I can't remember how long ago it was. It was uh, uh, Simon Rattle uh, touring with the Berlin Philharmonic uh, to China. Now, you can argue it if you want, but I guess some would recommend, that they would recommend some would acknowledge the Berlin Philharmonic, probably the best orchestra in the world. Probably. Probably the music. Yeah, you can talk about that afterwards. Probably the best orchestra in the world. Okay, and there they are touring China, which was a little bit of a coup. 128 uh, individuals uh, in the orchestra and rampant insecurity. cameras traveled around with them now there were three trialists i get why they're a bit nervous you know because there they are on there whatever it is um 
Uh, a bit of variety for you. Uh, there they are playing their uh, instruments. You know, boom, boom, boom. Um, and um, they're nervous because if they do well, they're in. If they don't, you know, that's a big deal. But the thing that was even more striking to me was the, the more the people they envied, so the trialists envied the established members of the orchestra. And of course, there are some who have been there 10 years, 20 years. You know, they're the sort of well, well-established characters. And yet they're all petrified. Did anyone notice I missed a note in that rehearsal? It's taken me a little bit longer to learn new pieces than before. I wonder if anyone's picked up on that around me. And it was 128 paranoid individuals and Simon Rattle, who seemed to have quite a big ego, and uh, conducting it. But it was 128 absolutely paranoid individuals in the best orchestra in the world. There is nowhere else for them to go. They have reached the top of the tree. Are they content? They're not. Is their status secure? It was not. They're just anxious. They're going to fall away. Playing for the best orchestra in the world and wildly insecure. Now, what will give you a secure status at work? Nothing. You could keep climbing the ladder. You could be the youngest of your peers to break into an international orchestra. You could be the youngest of your generation to make partner in a firm, to make consultant in a hospital, whatever it may be. Are you then secure? You are not. You're always looking around. And of course, what the, what the teacher is saying is, if you make work the thing that gives you your status... You will live your life as a yo-yo. Because some weeks you do pretty well. (laughs) Yay! And some weeks you do badly. If you make work your status, what happens if you're unemployed? Or you take time off for a child? Or you retire? Well, when you're 80, probably, the way things are going. (laughs) But when you retire? (laughs) Oh, there's a nice thought. Um... uh, What happens then if work gives you who you are? It doesn't work. The teacher knows that work is a gift, but it doesn't give you your meaning. So look, work, it can't secure a legacy, it can't secure satisfaction, it can't secure your status. Should we have a positive? Yes. Last, work from God can be satisfying. Back in chapter 2, we go from verse 23... All their days, this work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And then we get this, verses 24 and 25. Work from God can be satisfying. A person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing wealth. Come back to that. But here is the first positive thing said in the whole book. So I've saved that little gem for you. But actually the way the book works, it seems to me, is in four sections. And every section ends on this note. So you get chapters, let me just show you very briefly, chapters 1 and 2. And then you get this, chapter 2, verses 24 to 25 is positive. We'll get there next week, chapters 3 and 5. Again, more swathes of negativity in one sense about life. But eventually you get to chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. 
Verse 19, chapter 5, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their, their lot and be happy in their toil, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. So one and two, pretty negative, then something positive. Three to five, very bleak, then you get the positive. Six and eight, chapter six to eight, then you get the positive in chapter eight, verse 15 again. Very similar, chapter eight, verse 15, I commend the enjoyment of life. Nothing better for a person under the sun to eat and drink and be glad, and on it goes. And then you get the conclusion at the end of the book. So all four sections of the book end on a positive note. You know, if you invest too much in, in your pleasure, won't work, won't satisfy you. If you invest too much in your work, no, that'll never satisfy you. But, but if you know it's a gift from the Lord, that does change things. So I think you end up with this equation in Ecclesiastes, for Ecclesiastes, it goes a bit like this in the book, that satisfaction is meaning plus pleasure. You'll never know a satisfied life without meaning or pleasure. Uh, you could expand upon that. It's a meaning, have we got the one below it? I don't know. It's a meaning that death can't destroy, in particular in the book. And there's pleasure. Pleasure in receiving God's gifts. Satisfaction is meaning plus pleasure. Now, of course, uh, objection. I might leave that up there for a moment, Dave. Objection. Um, lots of people. You don't need to be a Christian or, or a believer to, to, to recognize that sort of truth. Lots of people have jobs that give them meaning. Look, I, I fight for social justice. I, I, I'm a human rights lawyer. I love what I do. I achieve good things. I'm a doctor. I heal people. I, I uh, create vaccines for disease. I have meaning. That gives me meaning to my work. Yeah, 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 the teacher would say. But what happens when you die? At that point, so what? Here's our last philosopher. Actually, he genuinely is one. Uh, he writes essentially in the 20th century, much like the teacher of Ecclesiastes. So in all his novels and in all his general writings, he makes the same point over and over again, Tolstoy. Puts it simply, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Is there anything? You could achieve, but the passing of time rubs it away. Antibiotics are really important in our world. Can you name anyone who invented or discovered an antibiotic? One, two, maybe. Hey, the Oscars, we love them when they come round. Who, who, who won the Oscar in 2010 for best actor, best actress? That's a bit hard. What about last year? Leo. Leo won, didn't he, for The Revenant. Uh, who are the other contenders? Oh, we might get one or two more. Name them all. Oh, the passing of time rubs away what we achieve. And death wipes it out. You need, let's go back to that little equation. You need to have a meaning that death can't destroy and pleasure 
Pleasure that knows that you're receiving work as a gift. So just here, very briefly, let, let me look at those in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 2. Verse 25 says, you've got to know that what you're given, and in particular here tonight, your work, is a gift from God. Now, why does that make a difference? Because there is enormous pleasure in receiving gifts from people we love. We all know that. Someone gives you, you know, if you're... You know, you see it perhaps with parents. Someone comes along and gives them a pathetic picture. But if it's their child, oh, and they stick it on the fridge or the wall or frame it, inherently it's rubbish, but they've received it from one they love, so they cherish it. I'd say the most valued, to my mind, material thing that I own is my dad's watch. He gave me, my dad is still just about living, and uh, But a few years ago, he, or, no, quite a couple of months ago, he gave me his watch. It was a gold watch. He got it for 40 years service uh, for his company. Uh, dear John Fuller, thank you very much for 40 years service. It's a gold watch. Now, what's it worth? I don't know, a few hundred quid, I guess. Something like that. Why is it so valuable to me? Because it kind of... It kind of reminds me of the values my dad taught me. He worked for 40 years for the same company. When I got my first job, age 22, earning 22 and a half thousand pounds at that state, it was a few years ago, uh, but earning that moment, he smiled when I told him and said, oh, that's more than I've ever earned in my life. And he just worked faithfully. That is kind of one of the things he taught me. You just work hard. Work hard and get on with it. It's just a thing. It's a watch. I'm not sure it ticks very well. Uh, no matter if it's made, the case is made out of gold. But I treasure it. It kind of embraces, in one sense, in a thing, one of his values. I love it because he gave it to me. And I love him. And the teacher says that transforms work, you know. If you know that you're doing it because God has given it to you. Because some of us do love our jobs. Perhaps a bit too much. But there are dull moments. And in the dull moments when work is hard and it is burdensome and there is too much and you think, what is the purpose in this particular task that I've been told to do or I have to do? To know that your work is a gift is transforming. It enables you to smile. Not to expect too much from it. Don't travel on your skateboard to Devon. Don't expect too much, but enjoy. Keep it in perspective. Remember what it is. There is pleasure in that. And of course, verse 26 will say there's a meaning that lasts. I'm not going to unpack it all, but to look to verse 26. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. To the sinner, he gives up the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to one who pleases God. Well, that's a waste of time, isn't it? Or as we read in Colossians 3, the believer knows that everything he does in this world is assessed by God and rewarded. So Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. So it matters. You know that the work you do, the Lord sees. Now, some work is more valuable than others, I guess, in eternity. The work of encouraging believers, the work of sharing the gospel so people become believers for eternity, nothing is as wonderful as that, and we can all do that and be involved in that. But every element of our work, the Lord sees, and he knows. So it has meaning. 
a meaning that endures through death. And so the teacher would say, oh, I tried to get too much from my work. I thought, what is the point of life? Work. Work is the point of life. And I realized it can't secure a legacy. And that's obvious. It can't secure my satisfaction. It can't secure my status. I'm always anxious. But when I knew that it's a gift from God and that he loves me, oh, okay, this is what God has given me to do. And some days it'll be good and some days it'll be bad. He's not saying you become a believer and every day your boss says, join with me, sing with me, uh, and does a little dance at the end of the day. It's the end of work's dance, you know, and does that. It's not saying that. It's Ecclesiastes. There are good days and there are bad days. But you know that work is a gift and that carries you through. And it has a meaning that can't be destroyed by death. So the teacher says, so what do you do? You trust in the Lord. You know that he'll assess you at the end of time. And that's very wonderful. It's very wonderful to know that. No different. Jesus knew that. He does his work with a full awareness that it is his father's will that he carries out. That he is rewarded by his father. And we're just the same if we're believers. So don't expect too much from work. Keep it in its place. It's a good thing. But know it's a gift. And do it for the Lord. And then you can enjoy it, says the teacher. Let me pray. Our Father, would we hear uh, these words rightly this evening that the teacher speaks to us? Would we not expect too much from our work? Would we recognize that if we invest too much of ourselves, oh, it'll let us down. We'll find it overbearing, crushing. It'll never secure our satisfaction, our, our status. It'll never do those things. But it is a good gift. So would we work for you? Invest our lives in a way which is pleasing for you. And in that, know your pleasure. And at the end of time, your reward. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.